Curiosity on Dublin City FM. We're here, we're queer, get into it. I'm James O'Hagan and this is Curiosity, proudly presented by LGBT Ireland's the National LGBT Support Service. Whatever's on your mind, LGBT Ireland's helpline volunteers are here to listen seven days a week on 1800 929 539. Coming up on the show today, with Podrick battling snowstorms in the Big Apple, I've enlisted Alice Linehan, journalist and editor with GCN, to chat through some of the biggest LGBTQI plus stories of the week. Then, at Anya O'Hara, one of the organisers behind Disrupt Ireland's new disability the Arts Festival, a vibrant celebration of disability art curated by and for the disability community, which kicks off in the Project Arts Centre on March 7th, tells us all about the amazing festival programme. And Ush O'Donoghue joins us to talk about Clyde Inside, a new show telling the story of a gay couple turning to unconventional means to save their troubled relationship from queer production company Rock Bottom Saloon, which is coming to Smock Alley Theatre as part of this year's Seen and Heard Festival of New Work. And then Alice is back with me. Uh, she's written previously about societal pressure faced by LGBTQA plus individuals to conform to specific appearances. So we have a chat about the pressures of conforming and the particular beauty standards and how we can encourage a celebration of diversity and expression within the LGBTQA plus community. But before we get to that, we might as well introduce this famous Alice. Welcome to the show, Alice. Thank Hello, you for joining me. Thank you very much. I'm delighted <laughs> to be here. Thanks for having me. Look, it's wonderful for you to be able to step in. And, you know, you could look at this as like a sort of an internship to whether like, we, we actually boost Podrick off the show entirely. Yeah. Oh, I'm taking this as an audition. One hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. I'm. I, you, you look like a pop star. You sound like a pop star. Do I have the face for radio as well? I mean, look, don't we all? I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm not going to say anything about that. But anyway, you're going to take us through the news now. You've 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 taken a look through the the catalogue of the big stories coming up in GCN for the week, and what have you found for us? Yeah. So. Obviously, with GCN, we're constantly covering queer news from all around the world. And to pick some of the headlines from the past week that have really stood out to us has been, at times, uh, like, challenging. Challenging, <laughs> and you know, you have to, you have to deal with some some sad stories, some dark stories, which is what we'll uh, look at first today. So, over in the UK, a 19-year-old has been charged with attempted murder for stabbing a trans girl 14 times at a roller skating party in Harrow, Greater London. This happened in uh, uh sorry, on February 10th. Uh, the victim was rushed to hospital where uh, she received treatment. She thankfully survived and has been discharged and is now being supported by her family. Um, but as I said, yeah, a 19-year-old has been charged, Summer Betts Ramsey. Uh, she's said to have been part of a group that both physically and verbally attacked I, the girl. I mean, coming right on the heels of the sort of the, the, the jailing of the murderers of, of Brianna, Brianna Jai and all of the sort of, I suppose, the, the, the consternation in the last week or so around Rishi Shunak's absolutely appallingly transphobic joke in front of Brianna's mother. Like it really just hits home to the extent to which the trans community are currently fighting for their lives against like an environment that really wants to punch them. It's it's awful to hear. Yeah, and I think that's been a really big takeaway from this is that words have consequences and people in leadership, uh, like political leadership, when they make these stances against trans rights or like Sunak, they make uh, anti-trans remarks. Um, 
they're not without consequences and, and it feeds down and it, it causes violence and it causes trans people to feel unsafe and be unsafe in society. Yeah, and, and that's, I suppose that's an interesting, that's a point I think some people miss out on because oftentimes people won't make the connection between, say, someone saying something in somewhere like the Houses of Parliament or in, in like a political world and then the actions of maybe teenagers at a, a space like a roller disco. But the reality is, is it creates a permission structure. Isn't that kind of how this sort of like how that enables people to then be able to kind of like actively act out on their transphobia when they hear people in power kind of almost kind of almost like tant- like tentatively kind of giving them permission to go mm. ahead with it. Yeah, in some ways it feel like it feels like it encourages it. It's it 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 um it it's all a consequence of each other. Do you know like people if people are told that something is wrong people don't want to act in that way but if they are encouraged by people who are successful who are in power not that not that those people have encouraged violence or anything like that but by spreading this kind of narrative that being trans is not okay or like being trans is less than being cis or mm-hmm. anything yeah it, it kind of influences it's, it's, it's these sort of dog whistles and it's mm-hmm. all being used really sort of callously to sort of distract from pressures that people are really feeling in their real lives like if people could be more concerned about the housing crisis and the healthcare crisis then you know what bathroom an individual chooses to mm-hmm. go to like the world would be a better place yeah. especially if our leaders were the people who were being less concerned about those things mm-hmm. yeah it seems like the priorities are in the wrong it, it, wrong de- place. it definitely yeah. does so it, it, sort of it, it connections to that as well if you've brianna brianna jai's mother was speaking out again yeah. beautifully this week yeah so as you mentioned there um this has come the the attack um from last weekend has come almost exactly to the day that uh brianna jai was uh tragically murdered and there was a one-year memorial held for for her over the weekend in warrington where her mother Esther uh, spoke, yeah, really, really beautifully. Um, she said, "I'll be, I will f- be forever thankful. I was lucky enough to spend sixteen years with her." And then she also advised parents to hug their children tight and tell them that they love them. Um, which you know, it's it, it's a really moving speech, but you know, it's a speech she shouldn't have to make. It, it it's a hundred percent a speech that she shouldn't have to make, and it's something that kind of I, I suppose you hear these stories when you see people stand up and able to kind of take the the horrors that they've gone through and be still be able to have such a generosity of spirit and be able to be so compassionate. Like it just is the best of of humanity, mm. and you just want to see more of that because even the generosity which she has shown towards the the parents of the 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 two individuals. Who, who who murdered Brianna just shows that this is someone who really kind of under like is very just emotionally capable and you're absolutely right though it isn't a speech that she should ever have had to make she should have been able to see Brianna go on and thrive through the the rest of her life uh, and the reality is is that if we don't start tackling the sort of transphobic rhetoric that we're seeing kind of just let run wild within uh within the within society there'll there'll be more Brianna's and there'll be more uh, people stabbed at sort of just at like parties and roller discos like it's 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 mm. it you know it it goes hand in hand unfortunately yeah and this is happening among teenagers which is really really concerning yeah. um but yeah you're right kind of uh we we need to find a way to cut that out and not allow it to spread any further because i think we saw maybe it originated, not originated, but we kind of saw it kick off in the US with a lot of anti-trans bills, a lot of anti-trans sentiment in politics. Then now it's kind of transferred over to the UK, and I think in Ireland we need to be really, really uh, wary yeah, about it. We and, do. Yeah. We need to be very careful. That solidarity is so, so, so important. Definitely. Yeah. So what's coming up next? 
Um, something something more joyful? Yes. Something, <laughs> something a little more joyful. We're like totally on the opposite end of the scale, I think. Um, is Dublin is getting a new sex positive club night for queer women plus. So House of Pleasure is having its launch party in the Workman's Cellar on Thursday, February 22nd. The dress code is lingerie and everyone is invited to leave their inhibitions at the cloakroom. Um, there's a great lineup of DJs and the tickets are on sale now for 15 euro or you can get them on the night for 20 euro. I think that like it, it is fantastic because I think like particularly when I don't know I suppose the within the gay male community sort of like openness around kind of intimacy is just such like it's an accepted part of the way in which our community is understood to exist and I think probably because of a throwback to sort of misogyny and whatnot like that just hasn't been extended to women before mm. so it's great to see this uh, this kind of this kind of club night setting up and to see like other events like I think Daikon is another one that sort of is is, is happening around Dublin as well so it's brilliant to see more of these events happening for queer women within the within the community because I remember when I first came out like you would have sworn that there was like you know about four lesbians like that yeah. was it yeah. <laughs> that was it yeah no it's been really really great to see this emergence of queer women's club nights um, Honeypot is another one and they do really well you know I I never really see one that doesn't sell out yeah um, so it's obvious that there's a need and there's a want for for these parties for these events no that is absolutely fantastic we we love to see it um, and other places that we can have solidarity if not within the, the women's club spaces is uh, the, the story we're going to next yeah, so today at one, there's a national demonstration for Palestine. Obviously, um, what's been going on with Israel and Gaza and Palestine has really been in the news to a heightened extent since uh, the October 7th attacks. And obviously, you know, we don't condone what happened there, but there is a, a solidarity march um, kind of with Palestine and with uh, everything that's going on there. So this has been endorsed by over 80 Irish community groups. People are meeting at the Garden of Remembrance before heading to the Department of Foreign Affairs at Stevens Green. And in the Stevens Green car park, there's going to be a rally with music and speakers. Um, and yeah, everyone's kind of encouraged to join. No, I and I think it is like it is about that. Um, it, it is about that that point of solidarity again, because you know w- what we're seeing in terms of kind of the the say the, the what we're all watching on Instagram coming out of Palestine is beyond heart wrenching. Mm. It, it is horrifying. It's the sort of stuff that you you shouldn't even see in video games yeah. and and like you know sort of you know seriously violent movies. Like and it it is sort of like our our hearts need to go out to these human beings who are being put through that. So I think standing up in solidarity with with them and making sure that pressure is being put really where it needs to be put. I think earlier this week we saw the Irish government take a first tentative step towards kind of applying a bit of pressure at a European level on this issue. Yeah, there was a letter from uh, Leo Varadkar and the Spanish Prime Minister, I believe, that um, was sent to, uh, oh, her name escapes me now, Ursula... Vanderlein. Yes, (laughs) yes, I believe so. Um, So yeah, people now, some people have said, you know, this should have happened a lot sooner, but um, I guess it's a step yeah, it's a step in the it's a step in the right direction, and I think it's absolutely right that this amount of pressure needs to be kept up so that this can come to an end and people can go back to try and rebuild on what is going to have been 
probably one of the most traumatic events that's happened in the world in the last hundred years nearly. Yep. Now, uh, last up from the, the sort of the, the most serious to the um, most ridiculous. <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> a, a homosexual emergency. As I, as I, as I messaged you this morning when we were going to be talking, I was like, homosexual emergency, add this to the list. <laughs> yes. So uh, Britney Spears has teamed up with her favourite New York coffee shop, Glaze, to create her own hot chocolate flavour. So it's called the Britney Brulee, great name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me just make sure I get this right. It's a delicious blend of rich hot chocolate and freshly brewed espresso with a piped rim of toasted marshmallow fluff topped with a scoop of house-made Chantilly cream and garnished with a caramelised sugar disc monogrammed in mocha dust with a B for Britney. Now that sounds like a mouthful, both <laughs> literally, figuratively. Descriptively and literally. Yeah. I, I mean, it does sound like the sort of thing that you would need to enter into a diabetic coma after you had finished consuming. <laughs> yes. But look, we are living for it because she is doing this, as mentioned, in, in partnership with them for the Trevor Project, who yeah. are an amazing US-based uh, LGBTQI plus rights organisation who have been doing amazing work in the face of like awful uh, pushback against rights there at that point. And we love to see Britney really kind of solidifying her support for the queer community. She she came out in her book and she was pretty kind of like, you know, I love the gays, the gays are great. Mm. And she's doing it again now with this brulee. Now, off the top of your head, who, if you were to, if you were to be, if, if you're the 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 pure person in insomnia marketing, who are you going to be calling to to do a a similar stunt? Um, it's a great question. I think the first uh, people that came to mind were the Pillow Queens, just because I think they're hilarious and they could come up with some some really really good pun for their drink. Have I thought of that pun? No, but that's not what you're being. That's what you're being paid for. That's, you're not being paid at all. So. I can say that one of their drag names is Paul Mescal Margarita. So if we wanted to go into the, into I mean, if the we want to go into the, 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 if we want to go into the dirty coffees, yeah. I think that that sounds brilliant. As I said to you earlier, I think that the 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 Linda Martin uh, bitter berry um, latte would probably be what I would think would we would go for. But look, we have to uh, we have to leave it there and head off now. We are all thinking about Padraig Wilson McCarthy having a wonderful time over in New York where he's been on his own over the last week and our stories have been inundated as such. So to remember the wonderful time he no doubt had, here is Taylor Swift. Welcome to New York on Curiosity. Disrupt Ireland's new Disability Arts Festival kicks off on March 7th and runs all the way through to April 20th. Described as a vibrant celebration of disability art curated by and for the disability community, the festival's full lineup was unveiled on February 6th and here to tell us about a programme full of theatre, dance, literature and visual arts, all delivered through a range of accessible engagement formats in relaxed spaces is organiser Anya O'Hara. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on Curiosity, Anya. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, no problem at all. We're delighted. Um, so, I, first off, could you give us a bit of, like, tell us a bit about your own background and how you came to be involved in Disrupt? Yeah. Of course. And um, so I myself am a sick and disabled person and I'm also an artist. I work in lots of different ways. I make sort of visual art and theatre. And I also, in the last few years, have been uh, involved in a lot of organising, you know, organising of events. Um, and sort of I felt like there was a little bit of a gap um, in terms of access within theatre and visual arts in Ireland and particularly uh, here in the south of Ireland in the Republic and uh, I wanted to change that and I wanted to 
make spaces that I could go to, make spaces that, you know, my friends and family could go to and make spaces more broadly that like the whole disability community could attend because there was a, could attend and also be part of as artists, I think, because there's a bit of a, we're a little bit behind, I think, in terms of um, opportunities for uh, disabled people. No, absolutely. And one one of the other organisers, lots of people within the queer community would be very familiar with with Adrian, who is one of the the co-founders and organisers of Dragon Draw, which has been a hugely successful phenomenon over the last couple of years. So you're working as part of a really quite a committed group who have great experience within that like activism space and also that performance space. So how how did that group come together and decide that this was something that you wanted to do? And what were the steps, I suppose, involved? Because it's it's a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so it's like, it's Adrian, myself, and then another artist, Alan James Burns. And we had all kind of separately been working, uh, you know, as artists, as organisers, doing like lots of different events and exhibitions and things like that. And I think that we all had a similar want for something bigger, something just for our community, something that is, you know, really uh, giving space to artists that are disabled, artists that are living with disabilities, and uh, basically Alan and Adrian had been talking about this for a while and then they came to some of my events um, some things that I'm running with uh, my collective, Chronic Collective mm-hmm. and we started talking a bit more about like what something bigger could be like, how, how that would work and we were really lucky in that um, Project Earth Centre in Temple Bar has been incredibly supportive and has been, you know helping us apply to different funding and, and, and helping us, um, giving us the space for the festival. So uh, that's kind of where we started and kind of all that support and the support from the Arts Council and Dublin City Council has kind of led us to be able to do something of this scale, I suppose. Yeah, I, and I think that it is, it's so important to have, say, having the backing of or the involvement of something like the Projects Arts Centre who would have yeah. an understanding of how you navigate a lot of these spaces, particularly when it comes to applying okay. for funding and, and available funding. That stuff can be so complicated to get your head around if it's not an mm-hmm. area that you are specifically working in. And I say that as a person who works full-time in an NGO where a lot of my work yeah. <laughs> involves that. Um, so disability so as an issue is something that tends to be very invisible yeah. in our society. You know, there, there's lots of issues that really remain kind of pushed mm-hmm. out and, and invisible. Why was it important that there is yeah. more visibility brought to it? And, and I would say positive yeah. visibility brought to yeah. the, the, the the lives and experiences of disabled people. I think there's such a like wealth of um, talent and art within our community. Like there are so many incredible artists. And I think that... Uh, the regular world, the regular opportunities that are out there can be very difficult and inaccessible to us, you know, as disabled people. And um, our art deserves to be seen. It's, it's incredible work, um, you know, separate to our identity. And uh, we want to give space for artists to be able to show their work, for artists who have disabilities to show their work. Um, and I think it's also something that I always think of is like, you know, disability is is one of the only, um, I suppose, minorities or difficulties that almost everyone will encounter at some stage, whether, you know, you become sick for a while or, or with old age or, you know, dealing with family members. This is relevant to all of us and this work is relevant to all of us. Um, and just the quality of work that I suppose we didn't feel was being given space in Ireland um 
we really want an opportunity to show, to celebrate ourselves, to celebrate yeah. the whole community, and also to show this to people that might not have heard of these artists otherwise, or might yeah. not have, you know, engaged with our work otherwise. That's a, that's a really interesting point about the fact that sort of disability is something that people will encounter, many, yeah. most people will encounter throughout their lives, because I think that a lot of times people have a very binary idea of, of issues, yeah. and so you, you kind of, you, you picture a disabled person, you have a picture of a particular mm-hmm. individual in your mind almost, and yeah. you kind of then live your life with an assumption that that is that person, and broadening yeah. that and understanding that this is, you know, goes far beyond the stereotypes, I think is, is something that's, that's sure. really important. And, yeah, and I think we're, we're, you know, we're often, we get to tell one story or there's yeah. there's sort of one conversation that's had, you know, when you talk to someone who has a disability. And what we're trying to say over and over again is like, if you know, if you talking to me today, you hear my story, that's all you've heard is one disabled person's story. Yeah. And we're, we're, you know, we're all so different. We're all so varied, all, all our different life experiences. And those things have led to incredible work that yeah. I'm so excited for everyone to see and be a part of. Well, actually, could, could you tell us a bit about the programme and what kind of is going to be coming up throughout the throughout the festival? Yeah, so we've got a couple of different things. So we've got um, a huge visual art exhibition um, called Distinct, which explores the climate crisis through the perspective of disability. And this is with 11 artists in the gallery space in Project Art Centre, and that'll be on from the 7th of March um, over the festival and for a little while afterwards so people can get a chance to see it. And sort of within that festival, we have like different ways of engaging. You know, we're we're bringing in different accessible formats for people to engage in different ways, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And then we also have our, our performance program, um, which will be on two nights, uh, Friday and Saturday night, the 8th and 9th, um, which has some really incredible dancers, uh, performance artists, theater makers, Something that I'm like really uh, excited about is we're working with um, Louise Burton, who is an incredible writer, um, a theatre maker and journalist. And she's platforming a, uh, her work in progress called Legless, um, which is a semi-autobiographical mm-hmm. production. The kind of looks at the complications and contradictions that we as disabled people face as we navigate relationships, you know, like dating yeah. and that kind of world. And it's, we've had like we've been lucky, you know, to get, like, to see a bit of this work and it, it's going to be a really exciting piece. I'm really, really excited for people to see it and see, um, read Louise's new writing yeah. as well. It's, I, I, it's, it's, I mean, it's, fantastic it sounds like a really exciting program i think for it'll be important for people from of all communities to go and engage with it to kind of you know understand more um so i said the last two things before we finish up first of all can you tell me a bit about the the accessibility um the the accessibility supports that will be in place um and then after that i'll have to quickly ask you just tell me where people can go to buy tickets and find out because we're already running out of time the important thing don't worry so yeah accessibility is like something that we were thinking about from the beginning you know we want this to be as possible for as many people to attend in various different ways um, and you can look on our website which is um I'll, I'll read it hang on i'll read it out so i have exactly right <laughs> disabilityartsfestival.ie and um, to to go in detail for the access but we have things like uh, audio description live captioning irish sign language interpreting relaxed performances um, the majority of our events are masked um, and also have like air filtering clean air um sort of to watch out for viruses yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, obviously, any any person that's not able to mask 
doesn't have to, but it's just sort of an, an extra an encouragement element of yeah. safety. Yeah. Um, and then, as I said, all the uh, details of this are on the website. And the majority of our events and performances will be streamed online. So yeah. you can watch them from home. You can watch them across the country. If you're not able to get out of the house, you, you're part of the festival. That is, that is fantastic. And it gives that like absolute accessibility, that like full accessibility yeah. to people, regardless of how you want to engage with it or how you're able to engage in it. So that absolutely, absolutely is and fantastic. And even outside of our community, it's so yeah, like there's lots of people that can't get away to a show or something. Yes, yeah. We no. want the work to be accessible yeah. for, for as many people as So possible. where can people go to find out more about what shows are on and buy tickets? Yeah. The most important thing, the plug. <laughs> our website, which is disruptdisabilityartsfestival.ie um, to find out about the programme. And then you can go to projectartscentre.ie uh, to book tickets. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting us today, Anya. It was absolutely wonderful to hear about the festival and I can't wait for to get in Thank to see some so of the exhibitions. And follow us on social media. Do get <laughs> on social media. We will sh- go over to the Curiosity page and find out where you can you can go and follow them as well. Thank you so much, Anya. Incredible. Thank <laughs> you so much for talking to us. No problem at all. Bye-bye. The Seen and Heard Festival of Newark is back, highlighting new and emerging talent at Smock Alley throughout February. We're joined today by theatre maker and writer Ush O'Donoghue, who is directing one of the festival's featured shows, Clyde Inside, the story of a gay couple exploring unorthodox means of navigating relationship challenges. And is here to chat to us now about the festival and the importance of storytelling. Thanks for joining us in Curiosity, Ush. Thank you so much for having me. We are delighted to have you in the room. Absolutely delighted. Uh, so first off is us to talk a bit about your kind of background before we get into Clyde Inside and, mm. and a, a truly, I think, a, a story for the ages in terms of gay men using sex they shouldn't be having in order to try and thrive. But anyway, so you've you've worked in the arts over the past several years and you're co-founder of Jack's Band Theatre Company, which focuses sort of on, on live storytelling and its ability to bring people together in a very divided world. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, totally, yeah. So we founded this theatre company at... Oh God, the height of 2020. So it's an interesting time to found a theatre company in the middle of being separated apart. And I think what we found was that we felt we were at a time of real division um, worldwide. I think we felt, especially with COVID, very kind of fousted in by that. So me and my colleague Rory Nichol uh, started this theatre company in hopes of telling stories that brought people together. Yeah. And sort of fight that division. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, like, as we have seen, like, I suppose very powerfully over the last couple of years, particularly, say, with your marriage equality referendum, mm-hmm. the abortion referendum, that sort of artistic storytelling, it really can get to the nub of an issue much more quickly mm-hmm. than maybe like political sort of bands grandstanding or kind of like you know posts on Facebook and stuff so what sort of stuff have you done with uh, Jack's Bandit so far? Yeah totally so initially we started out with digital work because not our choice but our Absolutely, necessity yeah. um, so we actually made an album originally um, that kind of had theatre pieces dotted oh, throughout wow, it cool. um, which is about the book of Genesis um, and about Jezebel <laughs> yeah. and how I think she's actually kind of a feminist figure because <laughs> um, I you know I felt like there was this big anti-feminist wave that happened at the start of uh, COVID particularly. And then we went on to make an interactive online theatre piece so where you kind of were part of the play so it was kind of like a video game cross the movie, cross the play uh, called Aeon uh, and that was about online dating. So actually it's it's very like it sounds like you're like I suppose 
partly because of the time at which it came about, you mm-hmm. were forced to be really innovative yeah. in the ways that you were looking to make things interactive. Uh, and that, I think, kind of comes into uh, comes into Clyde Inside to, to an extent as well in terms of pushing those those boundaries. But so, so Seen and Heard, uh, the Festival of Newark, is kind of known for showcasing innovative and diverse performances. Mm. What makes Clyde Inside unique? And how does it kind of in- align with those commitments of pushing the boundaries? Totally. I think it seeks to tell a queer story that often isn't told. I yeah. think, you know, being part of the queer community, we're all very used to this idea of open relationships, which is kind of the centre topic of the yeah. show. But I don't think we actually talk about them in a formal sense a huge amount and kind of the unexpected challenges and also benefits that can kind of arise from them. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, like, it's interesting, kind of, we had a, a kind of a quick chat about about it when, when you kind of arrived in before we started recording about the fact that this is a topic that has become much bigger within the queer community over the last couple of years. Mm. But there can sometimes be a reluctance particularly even within relationships where those boundaries are being kind of broadened out to have the conversations that need to be had in order to ensure that everybody is kind of on the same page about it but so as you're mentioning Clyde Inside it sort of explores like the dynamics of a troubled relationship uh, where people look to create a, a DIY porn shoot in order to sort of put a band-aid over what might be a troubled uh, troubled relationship uh, could you talk a bit about the creative process behind building in particularly the kind of multimedia and more kind of in like different kind of ways in which you're, you're telling that story with the live feed projection and how does it enhance the story? Totally, absolutely. So I think I'm kind of fascinated by this idea. So the show is set uh, in 2011 around the Civil Partnership Act. Yeah. And I think it's a time where as queer people, you know, we are kind of challenged to kind of decide uh, kind of are we conforming to heteronormativity or are we, you know, seeking to maybe make something new, break yeah. out of it. And I think from a multimedia term for me, this was also the time where reality TV in a lot of ways was at its kind of zenith. You yes, know what I mean? Yeah. And there was also this kind of emerging wave of people who were making porn themselves at home. Yeah. In kind of this DIY amateur sense and it became very popular very fast. Um, so I think there is a link between these two voyeuristic ideas that were yeah. happening at the same time. So during the show, basically, and the show is filmed live and projected live. So you get this unique perspective oh, wow. on how things are seen through the camera and also sitting outside of it at the same time as an audience member. That's really interesting. So it's kind of like, it's really kind of blunt force coming in to show you this idea of like voyeurism and mm-hmm. how when you're watching things through a screen, you're seeing it then reflected out. Um, tell me a bit more kind of about the story of it, the couple involved in it and the characters. Yeah, totally. So the story is about Darren and Ben. So Darren and Ben are at kind of this important time in their relationship where, you know, you get the two year itch, you're deciding, okay, will we move in together? Do we do all the serious things? And especially now with the civil partnership got coming in, do we maybe look at the idea of committing to each other long term? I think that's something that Ben loves the idea of and Darren is deeply, deeply terrified of. (laughs) So essentially, Darren, having seen an ad by a DIY porn producer called Clyde, decides to maybe try to spice up the relationship and it forces them to face kind of where they see themselves together and where they see themselves outwards from that. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it it comes back, I suppose, a lot to, you know, because I suppose within many relationships, you're not necessarily going to choose to go the road of like, right, we're going to take on a whole new OnlyFans style of career. Mm. But it absolutely is a conversation a lot of people happen, particularly as you meet meet those milestones in relationships. And it's interesting to think of that period back in 2011, where I suppose those were the conversations that were being had sort of for the first time Mm -hmm. by queer couples, because up until then, we were all very Mm airy-fairy. And it was like, well, our relationships aren't real anyway, so. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the Seen and Heard Festival, like it actually encourages 
judges audience feedback to kind of help refine and evolve performances how do you think that interactive element helps and is it kind of terrifying oh my god it's deeply terrifying <laughs> so i think you know i'm deeply grateful for the existence yeah. of seen and heard it's kind of been my career maker yeah um, last year i premiered my show hyper there which is kind of about um, my relationship with my voice and voices for you as a trans yeah. woman and we went on to develop that show further after seen and heard and the audience feedback was completely key in that development yeah. it was absolutely essential and it's like deeply scary because we got some like terrible you know really <laughs> quite mean i thought um feedback but at the same time it like really does help you develop things because you see outside of yourself for the like first time because it is all work that's yeah. in the middle of processing you know yeah absolutely so kind of it's it's a point at which i suppose you take like a concept is it that like has mm. kind of come to a certain point and you need to know like where are we taking this yeah. and how is how is it like i suppose how is that that feedback delivered is it like sort of you know afterwards everyone walks out on stage and the audience are like look we didn't like you we loved you. You're terrible. So I think it's I think I think it's more scary than that. So you know, at least if they had to face you, I think people feel the need to be kind. But instead, they're given these forms that they fill in at the end of the festival. You are given scanned copies of every handwritten form oh that gosh. the audience have written. So it's anonymous. It's like you're getting comments online. It's crazy, <laughs> but you know they were there. You know, <laughs> and it's like you're trying to work through. Okay, like did I see you in the front row? Were you having yeah. a bad time? You know, and it's actually I was interested to hear. So so you have you have your your own company through Jack's Bandit and then you're working as part of this with a company called Rock Bottom Saloon mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see these kind of queer production companies coming together what is the because I suppose you look at the art sometimes and you think like it, it's so difficult to make work happen at the moment because it's underfunded and we don't value it enough mm -hmm. but like it, it is amazing to see all of these kind of queer production companies and queer artists really stepping forward and be like no we're going to make this we're going to make the art that represents who we are so what is the queer kind of like the queer art scene like at the moment totally yeah I think I think there was this real sense for me anyway I was I was kind of coming out of college and deciding to pursue theatre making kind of full time that you know the house wasn't ready for us yes, you know the yes. house wasn't like quite prepped or primed for the work that we wanted to make so I think a lot of us decided okay we'll build the house yes um so I think it's quite collaborative and quite helpful at the moment people are very up for chats and conversations and I think they're up for making work that is more radical now yeah I think Ireland you know as we do tend to, we follow in England and America's footsteps in many ways. But I think Ireland now is very much primed for radical queer artwork. I, I think that is absolutely fantastic. And I'm excited to see where it takes me. And I can only be like, I wish I was still in college to be able to do these exciting things. Instead, <laughs> I will support them with my money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, please do that. <laughs> where, so can you tell people where they can go to find out more about the show and where they can find out more about the festival? Absolutely. So if you go to smockalley.com, um, you can find all the shows in the festival, including Clyde Inside, mm -hmm. which will be on next Tuesday and Wednesday at 6.30 in the main space of Smock Alley. That is fantastic. And if people want to come along and have a look at all of the stuff that you were doing, is there a place that they can do that? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So if you go on Instagram or Google or any of the various clicky clacky button places, um, you can type in Jack's Bandit, that is J-A-X-B-A-N-D-E-D, -D, um, and you'll find all our stuff. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks. Now uh, we are going to go right to, in honour of her presence in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we are going to go straight into the fantastic Sinead O'Carroll with Sinead O'Connor <laughs> with Mandinka.
Research has consistently revealed that societal pressure to conform to gender norms and policing of gender expression among LGBTQI plus individuals may be linked to greater risks of depression and anxiety. Alice Linehan, journalist with GCN, has previously spoken out about the complicated journey she found herself on relating to her hair. And she joins me now to chat about the damaging power of the pressure to conform and the freedom that comes with being unapologetically yourself. Hello. <laughs> are, are you unapologetically yourself? I think so. I think I've gotten to a stage where I am. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, it just becomes too much pressure to, or too much like hassle to hassle, be like, yeah. I was like, I cannot be bothered with this. Here, I know. leave it out. Leave I know. It out. <laughs> but so, like, I, I was, when you were coming in to do the news, I actually knew that I really wanted to talk to you a bit about this because I read the article you'd written about kind of the, I suppose, the, the journey with your hair mm. and that kind of like that decision, like the, the back and forward you were on about kind of like, what it represented and what it meant to other people and what it meant to you. Mm. So like, how did the act of cutting hair like really contribute to your sense of identity alignment? Honestly, I sometimes when I talk about it, I feel like I'm being so dramatic about how much <laughs> a haircut can change how you feel about yourself. But it genuinely had such a huge impact on me. I wanted to cut my hair for, I'm going to say at least six years. Um, and growing up, I never felt comfortable in long yeah. hair it was I was I would like look at my brother or look at boys and be like god I wish I wish I was a boy so that I could have that kind of hairstyle yeah, yeah yeah um and then when I eventually did it it was like a new year's resolution to myself I was like listen I've obsessed over this for so long I have to do it so it was the 11th of January it took me 11 days in the new year <laughs> to complete my resolution um and I went and got my hair cut and I remember kind of thinking to myself before preparing myself for the panic or, you know, for regretting it and for hating it, for feeling like unattractive. Mm -hmm. And she was cutting my hair and like, I was just, I was like, okay, I'm going to panic. I'm going to panic. When am I going to panic? And I was like, oh, I'm not going to panic. <laughs> I'm actually going to feel great. <laughs> um, So the act of doing it, it, it made me feel really proud because I felt like I was resisting against something almost being like I don't need your beauty standards I can do what makes me feel good yeah. um and yeah like I didn't it, it, the first haircut I ever got wasn't wasn't the perfect haircut or yeah. anything but it was just like oh my god I've done it and I can look like this and I can feel great like this yeah. well that's that kind of brings me on to kind of what I was thinking about like within the queer community we, we love our, our labels we've our butches our femmes our bears our, 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 our twinks and each of those can come with like pretty rigid expectations and pressures to conform to like a particular way of of being mm. have you experienced this and like how can how can we challenge it because i do think that when you start to feel that pressure that you have to look a particular way it really puts a barrier in your place to kind of just being like most authentically yourself yeah so for me even when i was writing the article that you were talking about a lot of it references uh kind of butchness and, yeah. and being butch and i remember even writing that i was like Am, am I allowed to say that about myself? Like, <laughs> because maybe I don't fit this or I don't fit this or people might not see me and automatically think butch. And yeah. I'm like, um, you know, are people going to think I'm trying to claim something that's not me? But for me, the word butch, I really align with just because there's so much history around uh, around the word butch. And like, when I look at other butch women... yeah. I feel like, oh, I want that to be my community. I want to align with that. Um, but then there is that thing of like, oh, but I don't meet every requirement of the label. And I think 
with particularly um, the whole kind of butch femme thing, often the heteronormative expectations can mm-hmm. be pushed onto those two labels. So if you're butch, you're not allowed to be sensitive or yes. soft or feminine in any way. Um, and if you're femme, you know, you can't be strong and have yes. masculine masculine qualities. Um, but... Yeah, that's kind of the experience I've had with it. Um, it it's interesting. I, I suppose like listening to you because it's like I have I can like have direct almost direct parallel sort of experiences in terms of like bearishness, mm. where kind of I like I suppose that's the category that I would be placed in, and, and also like the community that I find myself kind of you know gravitating towards because it's more about kind of freedom of expression and freedom to be yourself. But I have always had this like, do I have permission to call myself that? I'm like yeah. I'm a bit more fair and expressive I you know my voice is a bit more gay voice than the the traditional kind of you know you know heavy masculine berry mm. man I maybe am and just hairy enough and it's weird the way we create these kind of these gatekeeper moments in our own heads to be like okay no you're, you're not let go in there even though no one's actually stopping you yeah yeah <laughs> like no one I don't think anyone really says anything there's just this kind of Oh, this is the expectation. Do I meet this? Yeah, no, absolutely. And on on stereotype stereotypes, so they can sometimes because as communities form, they can become kind of a gatekeepering element mm. can sort of develop. And within the LGBT community, people who don't conform can sometimes find themselves excluded. How can we encourage a celebration of di- more of an more of a celebration of diversity within our community? Because you know, oftentimes, like say, I would be speaking to to maybe kind of other guys who would be less bearish about the sort of perception or the the feeling that sort of they aren't welcome within bare spaces. And Mm. I don't know if it's the same within Mm. kind of like female spaces where it's like there can be like femme lesbians don't feel welcome within butch spaces. Mm. And like, how do we challenge that? I think labels are great for some people and they're not for others. And you just have to accept that and meet people where they're at. If someone doesn't feel comfortable labeling themselves or boxing themselves into a certain... Uh, yeah label stereotype or expectation you just have to be like okay cool you know sexuality is sexuality (laughs) and if you want to find a niche community within the LGBT community by all means go for it and if somebody in themselves feels that they belong somewhere or feels like they identify with something then I think we should accept that and respect that. It, it is sort of, when, this is like sort of a half thought out thought, which God knows where we might end up in it. But I do think like within our community, sort of it is based around kind of like specific kind of, you know, elements of your 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 gender identity or your 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 sexual orientation. And we kind of are teaching the, the cis hetero community mm. more about these different elements of it. And sort of it can feel a bit like what we're saying is like, there's this box for these people and there's mm. this box for these people. But in reality, what we want to be able to say is just like everyone gets to be themselves 100 yeah. percent. true queerness is just being 100 percent uniquely who you are yourself mm-hmm. without having to kind of i suppose feel like as if there's there's someone else who knows better who you are or what you should be doing with your yeah. life yeah totally but anyway that's 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 my rant for the day <laughs> <laughs> um but actually that that is the thing like outside of the queer community people are often put into like you know very stereotypical boxes and, and like that can have very negative effects where within the hetero community you'll have kind of very defined stereotypes of what a lesbian is or what a gay man is mm. or what a bisexual is or what a trans person is sort of how can we so how can we start changing that like what do we need to do what sort of representation do we need to start seeing to be able to challenge that within the hetero community do you think 
think? I think visibility is everything. Um, people need to see different types of queer people to yeah. understand and accept and learn. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I'm going to name drop here. But yeah. <laughs> I did an interview with Andrew Scott recently and Ooh. we got onto this this conversation because I had, we were talking about All of Us Strangers and I said, oh, I would love if my parents would watch this film. And he said, well, do you think they will? And I was like, oh, I think the gay sex scenes might be too much. And he was like, they're only too much because they haven't been like exposed to it before. Yeah. Like these things aren't normal or aren't, yeah, aren't quote unquote normal or expected because it's not mainstream. It's not seen all the time. It's mm-hmm. not because it doesn't happen or not because it doesn't exist. It's because we haven't gotten to a stage where it's projected in the mainstream regularly yeah. enough. So I think it's kind of similar in this way of having diverse queer representation rather than just like one certain type of lesbian or one certain type of gay man or one certain type of trans person our community is so diverse diverse like and i think that's really what will change the outward expectations yeah Thank you so much, Alice. That was a brilliant conversation. And we could have it for the next two hours, but we won't because we have to go in a minute. So thank you so much for coming to chat. So where, people, where can people go to follow you and indeed to, to, to check out what's going on in GCN? So for me, I'm on Instagram underscore Alice Linehan. If you want to check out GCN, you can go online GCN.ie or find us on most uh, social media platforms at GCN Mag. And I have been James O'Hagan. And as ever, you can come over and follow me on James O underscore Hagan. Do go and check out Podrick's trip uh, in New York on Podrick underscore WMC and come over and ch- join our little party on the Curiosity Radio Instagram page. You can always email us to let us know what you think of the show or if there's anything that you would like to tell us or anything you'd like us to cover. Curiosity at DublinCityFM.ie. And remember, wherever you are, wherever you need it, the LGBT helpline is available seven days a week on 1800-929-539 Now, thank you so much to Alice for, for co-piloting with me today uh, to Ush and to Anya for contributing uh, Now, playing us out it is, of course the queen of the Super Bowl not the one you're thinking of Beyonce and Texas Hold'em on Curiosity. Curiosity